my name is Eric, and I am here with Michael Kester. Oh my God, Michael Kester, you've shown up to the show. I know, I'm here in my Technicolor dream coat for the occasion. I stopped myself from making the joke, <laughs> and there you are. You see, there's no joke. There was an opening, and I yeah. edited it before. My favorite type of editing, uh, before it comes out of my mouth, Yeah. and now when I'm sitting over a console. That's my favorite type. There we are. Yeah, it's a Technicolor dream show. Welcome to Double Feature, a podcast where we talk about two films. Uh, we don't really talk. I mean, we talk a little bit about what happens in them, but we really just talk about what the deal. What's the deal? What's, what's the, the deal with gentlemen prefer blondes and the love witch? I'd really like to uh, start addressing the shows with themes like Technicolor Dream Show. <laughs> that sounds really. As opposed to like the usual double feature fever dream show. <laughs> or I don't know what other kind of dream shows we could have, but uh, it just makes it sound really nice. It's good for your late night double feature. Yeah, here we are. Where we spoil the movies mm -hmm. and where we desperately need your money. Those are the two qualities of the opening of the show. You're going to get spoiled on these two films and... If we don't get some Patreons, we're going to have a bad time. You can track that at patreon.com forward slash double feature. We have hacked into uh, Disney's entire upcoming script database. And every, every time we miss our Patreon goal, uh, we are going to tweet out a spoiler to a film that you were really excited about. Wow, just destroy. If anyone followed my Twitter, then uh, that would really be very consequential. But yeah. unfortunately, I think we need a better death ray for this. Uh. <laughs> Thankfully, there's already a threat built into the funding of the show, which is that that's if true. we don't have it, we can't do the show. So that's, that's true. It just it takes care yeah. of that for us, built in feature. We'll just tweet back and forth to each other for 45 minutes a week. You know, there was a time where I could have kept up with you that way, but now I think that would just be the end. I think that's, <laughs> if, if you're like, ooh, slight tweak to our friendship, we will need to use Twitter to talk, I'd be like, it's been a great ride, Michael. I have really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being there all those years pre-Twitter. That was very good of you. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I wanted to, you know, I know you got another theme for this show. I'm going to wedge as much Technicolor uh, kind of in, yeah, in the sure. blistering bright Technicolor into the cracks because I needed to know what the fuck Technicolor was. So this was a big deep dive for me. Yeah. But yeah, you set up uh, like a good proper theme for this. Yeah, I mean, the, the proper theme is women aren't inherently valuable to society. But yeah, it's two films that have a lot to say about feminism and it's not necessarily important um, whether or not they hit the mark because they are saying a lot about feminism. And I think it's really interesting to look at two movies about women in society, one from 19, when is this from? 1940-something, 1930-something? 1953 on Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And then uh, one movie that pretends to be from 1960-something, but it's from 2000-something. For the love witch, you could just check whatever year that iPhone's from. That's the little yeah. snake in that one. <laughs> I wanted to set these shows up because one of these is genuinely a Technicolor film. It's from that era. It is made on three-strip Technicolor. 
And the other one, The Love Witch, is a film from a couple of years ago that obviously cares a lot about films from that era. I don't know if I'd want to go as far as to say it has an affinity, but probably has a, a great... Um, no, I mean, I guess, I guess when you care this much about recreating it, you would say in some way you have an affection for that. Mm-hmm. So The Love Witch cares a lot about recreating the look and feel and especially the color of films of that time, and yet it is not using three-strip Technicolor. We can maybe talk a little about why that is. But I thought, what better way to get to the bottom of what Technicolor is than just watch these two fucking movies next to each other. Sure. And boom, you get a bonus experiment of your own, real-world experiment. No, I got I got a lot of bonuses. I got a lot of bonuses um, in this pair. Okay, well, there's no, there's no faster way to annoy a modern crew than to care about color. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that there's there's other other offering. I have never had so many eyes rolled at me as when I ask for like a different color prop or something. Mm-hmm. Or if you whip out a color chart, man, forget it. It's mutiny. It's just the end of everything. Um, but we can start with gentlemen prefer blondes. Yeah, and uh, maybe we front load some of the Technicolor into that, and then. Um, extract some of the feminism in the love witch i don't know something like that <laughs> do you know any like off the top of your head you know any technicolor films like what do you associate when you hear technicolor the movie that i think of when i think of how technicolor is odd or is is you know some sort of its own thing is i always just think of fucking hobo with a shotgun oh yeah <laughs> yeah filmed in oh my god my eyes color yeah exactly filmed in my retinas are burning <laughs> color yeah, that's uh, from one of those home film developer kits where you use like expired beer in your own urine or whatever the fuck. Yeah, that's one of those. Yeah. Vegan development, non-toxic development kits. Right. Yeah, well, I have this feeling, and you know, maybe this is some of our journey kicking in here, but I have a feeling that a lot of people talk about Technicolor and don't know what the fuck it means. Oh, sure. I think to a lot of people, I think, um, I think to the layperson... Or to the average person, and no shame. I think a lot of people just think of Technicolor as not black and white, right? Mm. And yet, for some reason, people all sort of unanimously seem to understand that we don't use Technicolor now, and yet films are still in color. Sure. So I feel like people just sort of like have this gap of what's the difference that they just choose not to ask themselves because it would prevent them from enjoying it when Benedict Cumberbatch enters the spider house or whatever. Well, yeah, you hear a lot of these, um, even an MCU movie, Mm -hmm. when the MCU movies started to get more colorful or that became Mm -hmm. like a bit of the, it's a debate over whether or not they actually are more colorful, but... When Taika Waititi got famous, continue. Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, and so you hear that, oh, glorious technicolor. Yeah. Such a phrase, glorious technicolor. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hear about the the sort of like candy-coated Technicolor, I think. Uh, maybe it's Criterion that describes it that way. But if we look at the timeline of film, just to start there, you know, I think that idea about black and white is probably the closest to accurate. Mm-hmm. Because you have black and white films for the longest time. Black and white exists as a medium, and I don't want to say they perfect it, but people are really developing the craft of doing things. I would say Orson Welles perfects it. I would I would not be, even be afraid to say that. God, and so funny too, right? Because 
<laughs> the, the one thing I'll say about Technicolor is you're talking about a lot of films from the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. So Orson Welles starts to do film that looks like film to us. Mm-hmm. And eventually we start getting things like, um, like kinema color or tinting or you know, these things that are basically exhibition tricks, right? Sure. Drawing on the fucking frames, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you got to do to manually insert color. And then we get to strip Technicolor, red and green Technicolor, which, you know, sort of helps you imagine what the film would look like if it was in fucking color, but it's kind of not. But you can look up two-strip color. This is not a two-strip color movie. This is straight up three-strip Technicolor. Yeah. Here comes that third strip, motherfucker. And, you know, if you didn't watch this, I mean, the the movie that I think is, that is proper three-strip Technicolor that is uh, most well-known as The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, when you look at that movie, again, this feels like our journey, but it partially sells itself on, there's literally a fucking scene in it where you walk from sepia to color, to technicolor, right? You know, you want to talk about perfecting technicolor or introducing technicolor? Like, Wizard of Oz gets this really unfair head start because at some point, whether whether by intention or accident, they went, let's make all of our things specific colors. Mm-hmm. So the road is yellow and it's the fucking yellow brick road. And if you forget it, we're going to sing you a fucking song. And we got the ruby slippers and we got the emerald city. You know, it's fucking check out. We got big ass fucking colors. Now, when you get gentlemen prefer blondes, you're literally just looking at Marilyn Monroe's lips the whole time. Yeah, because it's, it's funny, right? The, it's the deepest shade of red in any frame the whole time. You see them. You do see the colors in this. You do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the quickest way to figure out Technicolor is watch some fucking Technicolor films. You know, make sure you are watching Three Strip, and that's a good way to to really... It's the starkest because it's shot on Technicolor Three Strip film, and it is... Technicolor processed. Mm-hmm. And I think I would maintain the best way to watch a Technicolor film is in the highest color and the lowest resolution that you can. Interesting. Interesting. Well, because every Technicolor movie features this red lipstick that runs and fucking smudges everywhere. Mm-hmm. Because the crazy thing about Technicolor, when you imagine shoot, and now we've all shot, we all have camera phones, everybody has shot, you know what it's like to shoot. Take your device, you point it at something, away you go. And so many people, especially the younger and younger people, get they get used to shooting with literally no fucking lighting. The first time you shoot, you just point at whatever you don't think about light at all. And you don't need giant movie lights like you used to. And on Technicolor, this was as bad as it ever fucking got, I think. Because what you were shooting is not just, okay, you think about shooting on film, you're thinking about a, a strip of film. The way they got these three channels was not in a single piece of film. It was in three pieces of film. Mm-hmm. So you were shooting with like, you know, the refined version of three cameras duct taped together. Right. And the fucking lights. And when you go back and listen to like the stories of people talking about their experiences shooting these movies, it's full of like, we were all ready to faint. This destroyed my eyes. The lights were blinding. We're all sweating profusely. It's a hundred degrees on set. Like these kind of stories about the impossibly bad working conditions 
of shooting this because it was so demanding. But I think where the misnomer comes in or what's... um. I think the biggest thing that I kind of hear about Technicolor is people talk about how how vivid or which is true but how accurate the colors are that mm-hmm. you get some sort of like oh Technicolor used to be so good why do we switch away from it you know we got this this more true or more accurate color which couldn't be further from the truth it was like the beginning days of color film mm-hmm. so it's actually the opposite of accurate, really. What you see when you see Technicolor movies, that's probably the, the most fascinating part about this to me, is that you are seeing a very controlled palette. It's only rendering so many colors. Mm-hmm. Today, the, the whole game is like, render as many colors as you can, get the color science as good as you can get it, make everything accurate. But back then, you could make a fucking palette of swatches that are like, here's the colors you can get on Technicolor. Mm -hmm. The fucking red you pointed out, here's a green that looks pretty good. We have this one skin tone that's like, you know, uh, in quite a funny way, the same color as the bathing suits in this movie. Sure. Like you can see it when you watch the movie that it's not rendering that many colors. And what's kind of funny is, are I sort of like that? Mm Mm-hmm our eyes sort of go, wow, isn't that nice? Mm -hmm. Because you can see that even on like movie posters today or in... um, A Wes Anderson movie. Well, right. These, (laughs) those are very intentionally, uh, intentionally colored things, but it's a lot harder. Mm -hmm. You sort of funnel colors that are similar into these channels or into kind of lanes, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have... You know, it's it's no mistake that the ruby fucking slippers match the lipstick in this movie. They didn't go out and make sure those two things were identical. Yeah, there was no Pantone matching. Totally, totally. <laughs> so you're only getting so many shades of red and you're kind of getting a nice gradient that falls off according to the light. And because of that, these movies have what looks like very controlled color palettes since everything kind of falls into into so many lanes. You can even kind of see that on the Technicolor logo. Mm-hmm. If you know their logo, it's like, I don't know how many shades are on it, but it's like these different, it basically looks like swatches. So it, you know, it harmonizes that in a way. But yeah, this, this basically started as a spectacle, like so many of these other things we talk about. It was an exhibition, kind of an exhibition gimmick. And... People sort of hated it at first, and then eventually it became, you know, the best way to to color the movie. So when you look at movies like Gentlemen for Fur Blondes, you're really seeing you, you're seeing a lot of the '50s Hollywood kind of movies mm-hmm. where it's it's been so long since Citizen Kane. Now we know how to make a movie look like a movie, and we've done our Gone with the Wind, which is you know a little bit more of a I don't know, less of a farcical kind of, it's not a musical comedy, you know? Mm -hmm. But now we're doing musical comedies. And so what are they about? They're about the women who are in them and the numbers and they're kind of like big and funny and everything has to be color managed on set, which is kind of crazy. So you had, you know, the woman from Technicolor was very infamous for 
uh, being credited as a producer on like every goddamn Technicolor movie <laughs> who would show up and basically be the consultant on set for what's going to read in Technicolor in the film and what's not. And they would do, you know, like these really, really elaborate tests. I mean, I made a joke about, you know, like nobody on set wanting to even think about color anymore because it just seems super pretentious to, to I care about what color things are in the movie. But man, back then it wasn't like that. They were literally like everybody was performing under the thumb of this new color. It's like when 3D came back, you know, in our lifetime. And suddenly everything was like, write a movie around 3D. Write a plot around the 3D. Mm -hmm. And then we get on set and it's like, okay, so we got to do this whole movie this way because we have this one 3D thing. The camera's 3D, so we got to light it this way and do, you know, and it changes everything about the filmmaking. So, you know, you had people showing up. Not only were you getting rehearsals, but you were getting like fucking color rehearsals. You had the actors showing up so that you could try out different fabrics on them, try out different shades of lipstick and do all these tests where they would shoot them and then develop the footage and basically color test the entire movie to make sure it was working. And I think this is one of the unspoken parts of what people like about Technicolor is because color is new and because Technicolor is kind of this marketing quantifiable, like, oh, we have Technicolor. That's kind of a, what is this movie? Oh, it's filmed in dazzling Technicolor. That's kind of part of the marketing of it. Suddenly what you do have is people caring a lot about the color in the film. Mm-hmm. So even regardless of any special, oh, it was shot on this film, it was processed in this way, you're basically seeing what does a movie look like when a bunch of people are obsessed with how every how the color treatment is done through the whole film. Sure. From top to bottom. And like, of course, that makes a better colored product, a more intentional right. one, anyways. I mean, yeah, that's a big part of that was the same. There was a similar there was a similar revelation when actors needed to be able to talk. Totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that's probably why you see a lot more musicals, you know, in the mm-hmm. early days, of, because it's like, oh, what can we do with this amazing new tool we have? And so, like, why is this important? The reason that Technicolor is important as more than just a little oddity or a little curiosity is when we think about these things we know with Technicolor, that certain shades show up better or work in different ways or that it restricts a palette, what looked good on Technicolor became popular in the world. Mm -hmm. Because suddenly Technicolor, like I guess the point I want to get get across is that Technicolor drove the Vogue. Technicolor drove, you know, you have this film stock that certain shades of red look great on. Mm -hmm. So what happens? Every actress, i.e. every celebrity, in these famous big movies, the best way a celebrity can be represented huge on a fucking movie that's about them in this movie. I mean, it's a huge platform, ego piece, right? Mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe in this movie. And what does she look like, Michael? She's this iconic figure. Everybody wants to be or be with Marilyn Monroe. And what does she look like? She has red Technicolor lipstick. What's the shade of her lipstick? It doesn't matter what it is in real life. It matters what it renders as in Technicolor. (laughs) And suddenly everybody mimics this. 
everybody's wearing Marilyn Monroe shade lipstick. Mm -hmm. When we think back, you and I think back of America in the 50s, we either think of like, you know, um, Nuka-Cola, Bunker 50s TV, Duck and Cover, or we think of like Technicolor in the movies and 50s Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny how much, because the red looks incredible, red lipstick is so in fashion. The movie stars do it, and then ads are also filmed in Technicolor because remember, Technicolor for a long time is just color. It's the only game in town. It's the only game in town. And they don't stop (laughs) making Technicolor films. I mean, I think the last Technicolor films for three strip anyways, not for the processing, which is, you know, development. For shooting on the film that we identify as Technicolor, that's into the mid-50s. And then it gets replaced by Eastman Kodak, which, you know, everybody says looks worse, but it's only on one strip and you don't have to torture human beings to make it. So they... They're like, well, this looks worse, but uh, saves money, it's easier. We'll use this one. But up until that point, even ads are filmed in Technicolor. So now your products are like, well, we want to make a product that reads well in ads. Marketing is starting to drive development, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you have all these products come out that come out in Technicolor colors so they look good. It's a major influence in culture. This film technology, how these colors happen to be rendered on these film strips, literally changed the entirety of fashion for the time and shaped, you know, all of culture, all of popular culture out of, um, out of this one company's color film technology, <laughs> which is just like wild as fuck to me. All right, so, you know, the three strip was hell. Everybody got rid of it. They shot these movies for a while. They processed in Technicolor, which is not the same as shooting three strip, but Technicolor would process other people's film. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a movie actually like the original Suspiria that was, I think, the last the last one in Italy that was Technicolor processed. So of course, you hear people even say things like, "Oh yeah, Suspiria, Technicolor film," because it's vivid uh-huh. and it was pro- it has a logo on it, right. Technicolor logo on it. But um, when we get to the Love Witch. This is a movie that mimics a lot of things from the Technicolor days mm-hmm. without using, of course, three-strip film. Because remember, it doesn't fucking exist anymore. <laughs> right. Those tools are gone. You can't shoot it and you can't develop. The whole Technicolor process no longer exists. So now we shoot on film and we get the Love Witch. I feel like we've been talking about color for a while, so I don't know if we want to log line and maybe mm-hmm. pull it back to somebody, <laughs> something that somebody who isn't me cares about, you know. Uh, I mean, The Love Witch, let's see. The Love Witch is a movie that takes place apparently near my home. And apparently near your time. Yeah, right? <laughs> it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a present day movie about a um, non-Wiccan witch who... Uh, her forte is love magic and she's so she she casts these love spells that amplify man's men's affection to the point where they lose all semblance of sanity and are obsessed with her to their own demise uh-huh. but it's important that the important the key thing here is that she just doesn't manifest affection she amplifies affection mhm that is explicitly important. So it's got to the plot it's of this movie. Be there a little bit to begin with. Yes. 
you had mentioned the word feminism earlier on the show. Sure. Yeah. I did. Uh, <laughs> look, can I give you a piece on feminism? Look, we used to talk about this a lot on the show. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'll step into the feminism spotlight first and we'll see if I light on fire or not. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, both of these movies today, like people, people within the film talk about them a bit, but man, do people have feminist conversations outside the movies. And I think just in the time we've been doing the show, you know, you have these different waves of feminism that happen and different uh, people kind of argue back and forth about, oh, you know, uh, a woman should mimic a man this way or a woman should have her own individuality on par with a man or women shouldn't be expected to do anything and men should be expected to react. And I think today we're, we're cluing into this idea of feminism, which is kind of like, yeah, I don't give a fuck what you're going to do with all that stuff, but we need to pay people the same. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, right, right, but um, yeah, we're not going to do that. So like who should socially do it? No, pay the same. Do pay, the, that's what feminism means. Pay same amount. Uh, but could we just like, maybe we'll have meetings where like, who should feel guilty about what? <laughs> I feel like there was this trick played on humanity. This is my incredibly anti-capitalistic take on this. But there's this trick played on humanity that we see throughout films from decade to decade in their representation of what feminism is. That is like, yes, get the peasants to squabble amongst themselves about various ideas of what they think of themselves. So no one will just demand that people get paid the same amount. Right. And now we're burning the emperor at the stake. Yeah. That's fun. (laughs) No, I mean, I've definitely heard, I've definitely heard a a series of quasi-conspiratorial things about how there are, the powers that be love arguments over identity politics because there is no correct answer and they're sort of frivolous in that they won't ever require systemic change. Right. So it's like a nice thing for people to argue about because it doesn't actually require uh, any any work. I think the, you know, if we want to talk about gender, you know, I never have anything positive to say about gender as we've covered a million times on this show. I'm uh, deeply in camp, post-gender, cyberpunk future. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we probably talked about that on um, what's the movie you mention every third show that I now can't remember? The Congress. The Congress. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I think we probably talked about that on the Congress a little bit. There's a, there's like a Tetsuo show or a Akira or something that's starting to demand. Mm -hmm. We did Akira. There's probably a Tetsuo show in the future we can, yeah, I can complain about gender and society. But I will tell you, Anna, this film's director, has made a visionary piece of art. And really, when you see this movie, one, how unique it is amongst other films today. I mean, that's to me, it kind of, I don't know if this is a compliment or not, but it kind of overshadows anything the film might actually say about gender. Mm -hmm. It is itself kind of the argument. Right. To see something, you know, for any conversation we might have about parody or whatever, to literally just, okay, but sit down and watch the film and is the film good? And holy fuck, 
trying to do an impossible thing. Like it's museum level. It's a museum piece. Mm-hmm. It's literally like, check out this piece of modern art where someone painstakingly recreated the look of, probably not gentlemen prefer blondes, but you know, something kind of of that era. Mm-hmm. See, I'm wondering, you know, you're watching this. We've seen these two things back to back. Where are the, what's the delta for you? Where are you going like, oh, this looks different and oh, these two movies look more like each other than they do like other movies? I mean, I think, you know, the the differences are what you called out and the differences between how color works, like there are flat out just like, you know, half tones in this, you know, things are shaded. <laughs> right, right. It has things, yeah. things there, there are colors in this movie that require more than a third grade reading level to talk about. Yeah. Colors like olive. Whoa. And wild, you know, wild aqua. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all there. That's like a main difference from like a color standpoint, but you know, it's it's also it, it these it like you mentioned, this is not trying to emulate nineteen fifties big cinema. This is way more trying to emulate honestly something a little bit closer to what we talked about last week with Wild Angels. You know, it's mm. it's definitely grounded way more in um in post studio cinema. Yeah. And and that's that's another. Well, it's even got a little huge difference. little bit of like a hammer horror vibe to it. Yeah, I mean, and part of part of it, I also get you know, it feels like a uh, a much more technically proficient blood feast at points. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, but there is like a spirit of blood feast that runs through mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I didn't even think about it when we were talking about the last movie. But one of the other things that's kind of funny about the Eastman stock that replaced the Technicolor stock, you know, we were talking on um, the witch that came from the sea. Which who came from the sea? I'm detecting a secondary theme. Oh, shit. In this year of the show. I think there might be some kind of, all the movies seem to involve. Yeah. Genesee witch, you know. <laughs> Uh, There's an oven somewhere. There's an oven somewhere this year of the show. (laughs) Oh, my God. So glad Criminal Lovers didn't end up having witches in it. It could have gone that way, you know. (laughs) It was very, very close. No, but you know, the Eastman stock is terrible for preservation. When we talked about the witch that came from the sea, we were talking about like, oh, well, maybe part of what feels otherworldly about the colors, how it warps over time. But the, the stock that replaced Technicolor turns out within, you know, as little as five or 10 years, all the colors kind of turned to mud and the film just like ate itself. Mm-hmm. And another reason that people really love Technicolor is the stock holds up. So you get to see films that do look, you get to see the accurate color as it was represented back in the day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even just the project of trying to care about color in The Love Witch could be tricky because you're you're basically going here's colors that are important because they're kind of like Technicolor. You know, you spend all this time thinking about rendering color and then you have to figure out how is that going to work on film and you're not even, you can't even trust, you know, we've been talking about that a lot this year too. You can't even trust your own memory of what it, what it looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you might have this feeling like, oh, I identify old film colors as this, because I remember seeing this in a theater, 
And maybe that, you know, maybe even if your memory's good, the print was the color of those colors, you know, like degrading. You identify it more as the mud colors. Right. And you don't get that with Technicolor. So it's like, it's iconic in that way. When you get to the Love Witch, you know, you're dealing with, this movie was shot on 35. Mm -hmm. But again, remember, none of this stuff exists anymore. You couldn't shoot it in Technicolor. It doesn't exist. You couldn't process it in Technicolor. It doesn't exist. So yeah, you shoot on 35, but that's going to look as different as a 35 stock from this year versus Technicolor stock. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of like, you're trying to reach halfway back into time with old methods and then also trying to approximate. You're basically going, what if I filmed a movie 10, 20 years ago on film and tried to make it look like Technicolor? So it's a mixture of like authentic old ways and then just like total maybe not guessing, I'm sure there's a lot of testing that goes into it in her previous movies, but damn, it just sounds like a fucking impossible thing to do. I mean, you think that sounds hard. For like, Not only is the visual of this movie shockingly spot on, but in order to create audio that sounds like it's 40 years old, that's not easy. And this is one of the this is one of the performances things, too, right? Yeah, performances, but also, you know, one of the things that's really that I think about all the time. I think about this all the time when I watch movies. So much I think about it that I don't even bring it up on the show when when because it just occurs in my brain all the time. But you know how when you watch an old Sergio Leone movie, um, like Once Upon a Time in the West, and everyone except the three main characters are fucking weird-looking, ugly people. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And you watch any movie now, and even the extras are like diet Brad Pitts. Like, it's just oh, yeah, yeah. all people in frame are are a 7 to a 10 by L.A. standards. And we did that because that makes the movie better, right? When everybody is as beautiful as possible. But what's crazy, <laughs> what's crazy is to watch The Love Witch and watch the visual casting line up with how leading actors looked in the 70s and early 80s. Yeah. Because one of the things that sort of springs off of what you're saying by Technicolor is by the 70s, especially, beauty standards have shifted. And like hot dudes are fucking fuzzy for some reason. And like you get attractive sort of um, Adonis like men, but they have like, it, like unfortunately angular features like the, uh, the cop yeah. in this movie. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you look at the entire breadth of the major players in this film, maybe with the exception of Elaine and they are people that, from a visual casting standpoint, you'd pass on the headshot. Right. You know what I mean? You wouldn't even get them to an audition. You'd flat out be like, that guy looks fucking weird. And you would just not cast them. Rude, Michael. Rude. <laughs> but but these are people that 100% would have gotten cast in Blood Feast, in Wild Angels, in fucking Sleepaway Camp. You know? Yeah, these are yeah. the exact archetypical looks for those people. And that's something that would be so easy to overlook when you're trying to make a movie that feels period authentic. You know what else I think leads into that is the way that people are lit in films today 
also is very glamorous compared to how well like when you look at the love witch the one of the things i notice right away is oh they're lighting this like a movie from the 1950s mm-hmm. when you light a movie today and i i think you know maybe in the zoom world i don't know how much people are like if i'm just explaining something people already know but you diffuse the lighting right right you make the lighting soft if you point a light right at your face it's going to look terrible and it, you know for a variety of reasons but like you're going to see every pore it's going to be super harsh it's going to create these hard shadows and hard lines and when you look back at the 50s films people think of these actresses as very glamorous but when you look at the lighting you could these fucking hard shadows 90 degree shadows you could use to like cut and measure lumber with these goddamn <laughs> shadows it was crazy mm-hmm. and when you see that in a modern film, I mean, it's, um, I don't, you know, I always think of it as kind of a courtesy to diffuse someone more in a close-up to make them look glamorous, but they didn't do it back then. Or in The Love Witch, they used filters. You know, they used, um, what is that, like Vaseline on the lens, right? They used soft mm-hmm. soft focus and, and techniques like this. And I think uh, the Love Witch does, and one of the boldest kind of unsung things that it does is it sticks to this really unflattering period hard light where nothing is diffused and there's hard shadows over everything and still trying to make someone look glamorous when you can't use like the most obvious technique is... Uh, is really hard to do. I mean, this is one of the craziest things about Technicolor to me. Okay. So I made the joke about the, the smeared lipstick and all these, you know, when you watch these in 4K or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, okay, Citizen Kane comes along. People are lighting in black and white. It's hard contrast, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you think film noir, hard lights, super hard lights, Venetian blinds. So then Technicolor comes along and they keep lighting that way because that's just how people light things. Diffusion doesn't exist yet. And the way diffusion exists actually is, uh, this might be hypocritical, but I hear this anecdote all the time of, of it coming from the Technicolor days because basically what happened is they were so concerned with glamour back then, but they had this hard light. And rather than change the light, which no one thought about doing, they would, uh, you know, they'd put these actors <laughs> under like, not only the least flattering light, but light that would literally, it's so intense, it would melt their faces off. So now you could see the makeup just melting in these movies. And so what did they do? They got more and more beautiful actresses. You had to be the best looking human they could find in North America to be in one of these movies, to be a lead. And so I think part of the casting is that they can't find people that good looking for the extras. Mm -hmm. But then they started getting these Technicolor movies back from Europe, from Britain. And everybody looked beautiful. The light was very soft. And it's often attributed, whether hypocritical or not, to the fucking weather because it's always cloudy. (laughs) They have this diversity of weather. We don't have, specifically in California, right? You know this living there now. Like you're even in a part with a little bit more weather than proper, you know, south of you Mm -hmm. in proper Hollywood where it's it's a desert 
and it's hard light all the time. Mm-hmm. But they would get these movies back and people, I can only imagine people were looking at them going, huh, why does everything look good in the British ones? What are they doing over there? And they realize, oh, fuck. If you put a cloth, a piece of muslin between the light and the actor, it causes the light to scatter and then you don't have a giant hard shadow on their face. And that actually makes everybody look gorgeous. Suddenly all of the light is beautiful. And now, you know, it's just common practice when you light a movie. You, it's, it's basically like, how can I point this light at this person or get light on this person, but diffuse the light so it's not shining right at them? And, uh, and hard light is viewed as this like terribly unflattering thing you would, you'd never want to want to, rarely would you want to use it at all, let alone in a fucking close up. Right. And so to film a movie today and still have these like these period accurate kind of lighting scenarios, it might not be something we think about, but it does change, you know, just with the um, with modern film processing and interpretation, even though it's shot on 35, I feel like you can count a lot more pores in this movie mm-hmm. than you can in the original stuff from, uh, from the 50s. Yeah, but that's also extra millimeters. Shot an infinite K. 35 millimeter film, infinite K resolution. So that's, uh, we have a website, doublefeature.fm, the real website, as you all know by now, patreon.com forward slash doublefeature. No one knows it as intimately as these people, Eric, are about to list off. Yes, it's Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Brad Parker, and Joachim Vernon, the executive producers and people who know their way around patreon.com forward slash doublefeature. Uh, thank you for once again listening to an audio show about a visual medium. <laughs> I hope I didn't bore everyone to death. But, you know, I have been obsessed with trying to figure out, well, like, what is the reality? I just feel like maybe this is because I'm fucking old now and I don't know how technology works. But I feel like I can never get answers on anything I want on the internet. And that 10 years ago, I could have just been like, do, 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 what is Technicolor? And somebody, something would have, a helpful YouTube video would have appeared. Yeah. And now it's just all spam. It's spam everywhere. Oh, God, I hate it. I hate it so much. Okay, next time on the show, uh, I don't know, let's do two movies, fuck it, and let's make them foreign. Um, Let's do, uh, I'm acting like I've ever seen these. These were movies that you've heard of that you're surprising me with. I'm sure it's just going to be a really good time. So we're going to do a movie called Angst. um, And then we're going to pair that with a movie called The Guilty, which is, it's got an American remake, but we are covering the 2018, as far as I know, the original The Guilty. Mm -hmm. So watch more fucking film. Bye.